Hi, I'm Jed McCosco at Wake Forest University, and I have my friend. I'm Stuart Roy Stotcher, and I'm a retired professor from Duke University, among other things. And last time I had Stuart Roy Stetcher on my show, I forgot to give him a proper introduction. And I want to just say that, uh, that he is a really incredible guy because he has been a professor and a successful one who's been getting, you know, who got lots of grants and all that stuff um, in earth sciences, specifically hydrology. And he, he had an astute mind to observe what was going on around him, not just in his field. Sometimes we think of professors as being very myopic, looking just at their field. But I could tell that he was looking around because he wrote an incredible book, which we talked about last time. Um, so just the fact that he is a professor who is successful and one who looked around and saw what was going on in academia is reasons enough to listen to him. But... He also left academia and became a successful author, too. So in his books, his, his one book has been read by about 250,000 people, which is definitely cool. So, you know, to be able to do both things well is yet another reason to listen to Stuart. So I am pleased to have uh, gotten Stuart to agree to do a co-hosted podcast, uh, which will have as many episodes as we can do. And today's episode will be about contract cheating in academia with uh, discussion about cheating in general. So I'm going to lead in with this uh, and, and offer you up a softball, Stuart. In your book, you mentioned two incidents of cheating, one where someone plagiarized his own work and kind of, you know, tried to feel out whether you would give him a bad grade, which you did, but he still took it and he graduated. And then another one who tried to bribe you with some unknown um, licentiousness. So maybe tell us about those two incidences. They're recorded in your book, but people who haven't read your book might find this interesting. So go ahead and talk about that, and then we could just branch off from there and talk about cheating. Okay, so um, first off, I will say that I did cheat once in my academic career. We're gonna get this all out in the open. In fourth, <laughs> in fourth grade, we, oh had, we had a weekly spelling test and it was getting to be late spring and I had never made an error. So I felt the pressure, right? And the spelling test had the word orange and I didn't remember if orange was O-R-E-N-G-E or O-R-A-N-G-E, and there was so much writing on the line, my unblemished fourth grade spelling record, that I actually opened up my cubby, took out the Crayola orange crayon, because I knew it had how it was spelled on the crayon, found out it was A-N-G-E, and wrote that down and kept my record intact. So I found <laughs> out the glory of cheating in fourth grade. But two weeks later, somehow A and E always had, I always had problems with it. One of the words was a simple one, really simple, very. And she clearly wanted the V-E-R-Y version, not the V-A-R-Y version by the connotation she gave it. And I spelled it V-A-R-Y. And I got my first and only mistake. And I felt that was payback for cheating on orange and i never cheated again but i do wow. have a record i do have a record of cheating it's in my mind marked oh, indelibly no. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know, since we're sharing cheating stories, I will definitely share that in seventh grade, so I was much older than by three years, I should have known better. I was panicking at the end of the year, we had a big math test, and I tried to change my multiple choice bubbled in answers uh, after I had gotten it wrong. But of course, the teacher didn't fall for it. She saw that I had erased my answer and I felt bad. Um, so yes, it was the pressure. So I think that should be a theme that we go over uh, a bunch of times, that when students feel pressure for a variety of you, you were obviously a good speller, you had a perfect record. People would say, well, Stuart didn't need to cheat. You know, he would have been fine. He was gonna get an A in the class. And yet there was pressure. There was enormous pressure on your shoulders. And the book that my co uh, coworker just wrote is about contract cheating which for those of you who don't know, it's when you pay somebody to pretend they're you in writing an essay, in writing a term paper, in writing an entire thesis. People do this, okay? Um, but I think it should also extend to the new methods people have of getting people to do their tests for them in real time, okay? Somehow with their internet connections, especially when we were, during the pandemic, things were online. Um, so I think it's anything like that. that. This is like the really high end cheating where you have you know, one person helping another person doing like that. It's not just one kid like looking at a crayon that says orange on it or another kid trying to erase his own answers. You know, it's, it's really sort of the uh, mafia, you know, organized crime world of, of cheating. And the book really makes the point that policing is not the answer. But, the, but understanding the motivation for cheating is, and the motivation is pressure, which you experienced, which I experienced, which everybody experienced. So, so what do you want to say about that? Well, first off, there are different kinds of pressure that people feel. For me, it was the pressure of perfectionism. And there's a certain kind of student that has to get over the idea and it can be very difficult it can take years not just learn it in fourth grade but it can carry on through college through graduate school through a job that everything they have to do is going to be exactly right and if they fail in even the most minor way it can be an incredible knock on their personal self-worth and I've seen this particularly in women more than men, but I empathize with it because I had it myself. And it is a process to understand that your errors are just ordinary human things. And if you screw up in a minor way, it does not reflect on you as a failure, but it is just part of being human. And it took mm -hmm. me a long time to get there. And I see other people with that perfectionist trait take a long time to get there, uh, in particular young women who have in college this combined need to be perfect and also to show that it's effortless you know say oh uh, yeah. i don't work that hard mm -hmm. you know i'm just an ordinary person and yet inside first of all they are putting in the hours but they don't want to make it look like they're putting in the hours right. because it makes them somehow in their view of the, the public will look at them in a lower way 
and this combination of actually putting in the hours and feeling this pressure. And the longer it goes on, you know, if you if I would have kept my spelling perfection on for 10 years, I would have resorted to anything to keep it going, right? And yeah, so good thing for the word very. I mean, yeah, it, it prevented you. From... Exactly. <laughs> Some fate intervened, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I see uh, students who have never received anything less than an A in any class in their entire mm -hmm. life, and they get through college, and now they're going through graduate school, and then the weight is so tremendous that they may succumb to whatever it takes. If they feel a mm -hmm. sense of panic, mm -hmm. they may go to the professional route and find a way to get someone to help them in some way right. in order to keep this sense of perfection. Right? Yes. Well, that this is a good thing to describe because a lot of people think of cheaters as the guy who, you know, parties all week, all week, all weekend, you know, and, oh, now I have to turn in a term paper. I've been partying the whole time. Oh, I better Google, you know, can someone write my term paper? Oh, here, this is not too bad. My daddy's money can pay for this. And, and lo and behold, now I have a term paper. So, I mean, certainly the person I just described exists, but that, that is usually the one we think of, and we don't think of the one you described. So, um, but so, let's talk about the guy I described. I mean, what, is there pressure on that person too? They seem so like they don't even care about school. They just, you know, they just want to get through. And, and, and it seems to them expedient to pay for somebody else to do it if they're better at writing than, you know, than I am. And I want to just party. So I don't know. Do you, do you so, know people like that? Yeah. So there, from, there's a spectrum of behavior in cheating, which is widespread, widespread on college campuses, widespread in high schools. And whether that's increasing or not, I don't know, but it is already widespread. The spectrum is the perfectionist versus the lazy bum who couldn't be bothered and simply wants a degree. And if they have to pay for that degree eh, through serial cheating, they will do it without guilt whatsoever. So that's the mm -hmm. spectrum. But it involves the entire breadth of people, uh, not just the perfectionist and not just the lazy bum who's uh, right. spends his entire, or her, it's not just him, her <laughs> yeah, entire right. four that's years right. uh, partying and uh, paying other people to do their work for them. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, but if you've described that, I mean, basically you've covered every single college student. That's a wide spectrum. So Correct. why is it that some people don't cheat? That might be a good question to ask. Yeah. Like, I have my own opinions, you know. Well, I know why I didn't cheat in well, college. Well, why didn't you cheat? T because, tell me why didn't you cheat. Because I had a internal moral compass that said it was, not that I thought I wouldn't get caught, it was that... I thought it was morally wrong. And okay, so stop right there. Time out. Time out. Let's let's call time out. How can we instill that in other people? If if the answer is not policing, if the answer is changing the motivation for cheating and replacing it with a mo with a motivation to not cheat, which you said you have, how do we teach that? How do we bring that into the classroom? I think it's hard by the time someone is 18 years old. If they don't have that moral compass by then, I think it's hard to instill it. So it has okay. to, I mean, this is an age old teaching problem of what do you teach? Do you teach the intellectual matter or do you try to teach to the whole person? And increasingly, mm -hmm. uh, 
the elementary school level, teachers now have to teach to the whole person because the assumption that we once had was that a lot of the work about teaching values was coming from the home, right? That was the assumption. Mm -hmm. So a teacher, and I don't mean to be nostalgic about this, teachers will tell me this who teach elementary school, who've been at it for a long time, the assumption was you know, the people learn values at home, we could concentrate on the actual material of reading, writing, arithmetic. They didn't have to worry about moral values. But now okay. that assumption can no longer be made. So you have to, at the elementary school level, at the middle school level, at the high school level, teach values as well as the material. And mm -hmm. uh, I got my values. Uh, this sounds, you know, I'm an old guy, right? Uh, in my home, not from school. The assumption in school was that I would get it in home. And it is now incumbent and difficult for us an elementary to high school level teacher to mm -hmm. teach those values. And if someone doesn't have those values by the time they're 18, I don't know how you, maybe okay. you have a, you Throw have maybe hands in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, you might have a better idea than Not, I do. No, 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 no. We will figure this out. See, yeah. see, you and I are podcast hosts so that we can figure out all the world's problems, especially things that have to do with education. So you're saying that higher education can throw up our hands, say we can't do anything, but could could people at the lower levels do something, and then could we in higher education support the people who are doing things at the lower level? Because obviously what happens in the ivory towers changes the way things are done. So, so I have my thoughts, and I don't want this to just be me asking you questions. Of course, I'll share my own answers, but you're on a roll. So if you had a magic wand to change things at the K through 12 level, uh, how would that work these days? Would you just make your magic wand, point it back to the home and say, okay, everybody has to learn it back at the home or is there something that we can do? Well, my, my wife taught second grade for many years and she would spend many, many hours of her week at an individual level trying to teach proper behavior from not starting a fight to not cheating, to not cutting in line, right? To not pushing. I mean, that was a lot of her day, right? Was to teach mm -hmm. basic values of human decency. So, mm -hmm. and I, and, and, you know, I love my wife and I think she's a better person than I am. And I think that she can teach decency much better than I could ever teach decency. If she doesn't get to them, no one is going to get to them is my <laughs> feeling. So my my quick glib answer is we need more teachers like my wife who may okay. put in the effort, even though it's not going to reflect in the test scores, you know, because elementary school and high schools are obsessed with test scores, standardized test scores, is to somehow, and it's not easy to do, to put in the effort to be their mother, to be their father in absentia and provide okay. those values and that right, should well, be okay. that that seems good and that I mean, should be the emphasis of a good deal of of teaching teachers how to teach because i mm -hmm. don't think my wife learned that much in uh, in in uh, education school about how to do this i think she felt it was incumbent upon her to do it uh, mm -hmm. and it's probably 
the number one task nowadays is to essentially be the good mother, the good father in absentia. Mm -hmm. Because even though my wife was teaching in school districts that are highly regarded, they these kids came from broken homes. These kids had mothers and fathers who were alcoholics, heroin addicts, all kinds of horrific situations. And she had to be their parent in absentia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so back to higher education. So if, uh, you know, these education departments could churn out more people like your wife, that would be great. But I'm worried, okay, now I'll share my own opinion here. I'm worried that they won't be able to do that because they themselves teach moral relativism. There is no moral compass at the ivory tower. So how would they be able to churn out more people like your wife who, like you, seem to have a moral compass to be able to say, okay, this is a decent thing to do. This is not a decent thing to do. So, so you know, my worry is that higher education is not going to be able to do this as long as it continues to promulgate moral relativism. What do you think? Well, I'm more optimistic because one of the... I, I'm going to miss up or mess up what the uh, the initials stand for. But one of the aspects of education that the far right has somehow globbed onto and, and attacked is SEL, which is about emotional learning. And it is a major part of what many education schools are promoting today. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the content of this emotional learning, it is about... Uh, about showing grit, showing determination. Mm -hmm. Actually, the far left hates this SEL as much as the far right, all right? So mm -hmm. it must be right. If the far left hates it and the far right, like Chris Rufo, hates it for reasons I don't understand, they must be <laughs> on to something, right? And, and so uh, the idea is to somehow get people to work together in a social uh so I think it's social emotional learning. I think that's what that's, it is. I just is looked right? it up on my phone. Yes, Thank that's you. what it is. Uh, it is to get people to work together, to show determination in math and other hard subjects. And part of SEL is not to hit the person next to you when you, mm -hmm. when, when you have a disagreement with them. The, and to try to get the emotional temperature of a classroom down and... To the extent th that you can do that, you're creating a cooperative environment, and that aspect of education should be highly emphasized. Uh, a test score, standardized test scores, should be de-emphasized, in my opinion, so you get a more whole individual, a more well-rounded mm -hmm. individual, knows how to interact. And if cheating can be worked into, and maybe it is, because I'll be showing my ignorance, I can ask my wife, whether cheating is worked into the SEL curriculum or SEL mm -hmm. approach, which I think his name is Chris, Chris Rufo or Chris Rufio, uh, far right, mm -hmm. a radical right guy uh, who hates this thing, says, I can't remember what his argument against it is, but it's completely mm -hmm. facetious. Uh, we are on a path to having kids, by the time they are young adults at 18, be able to operate better in the world and maybe ch even cheat a little less. And Oh, that, uh, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> sounds good to me. I mean, the, the whole, the whole, the key problem is that 
by the time that student reaches the college freshman level, they are already are well have well absorbed an environment where cheating is acceptable. And yeah. so how you turn that off, you can't magically turn that off in college. I remember well when I was giving a talk at University of Oklahoma and before the talk I went to get a coffee at some coffee shop near the campus mm-hmm. or maybe it was on the campus and a young under well young undergraduate an undergraduate was talking to the barista at the coffee shop and she was saying thanks for getting me that test beforehand that was so <laughs> helpful okay and it was just a casual conversation between yeah. the barista and the student without it would just seem like just some routine thing like Thanks for for giving me your uh, your handkerchief or something like that. Yeah, right. There was no sense of guilt. There was no sense of urgency. It just seemed like something that was an everyday occurrence. That she actually had a copy of the test beforehand that she right. could study from and obviously do. Well. I hope do well. Uh, <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> I would hope. So what about this? What about this SCL? What does it have to say? I mean, she showed grit. She showed. Per- perseverance yeah she showed the, you know yeah she, it, I mean, in the I, wrong I like, way in the wrong yeah, way yeah right but that's the thing i think maybe that's why some people don't like this <laughs> stuff is that there's really no uh set curriculum you know i mean in the old days there were certain sort of social and you know moral norms uh and now they're not so i mean there were other things in the past that were bad and I'm glad that things have moved forward beyond those uh, olden days where things weren't so good. But, uh, but I long for some of those things that were sort of more like accepted social and moral norms. What about you? Well, I would say that, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, racism and homophobia were acceptable. All right. And cheating was not acceptable. I right. think we could have a society where Racism and homophobia and cheating, all three of them are not acceptable. All right. Exactly. That that would be something to aim for. And right. whether well, we can, can now, get now let's talk more about that. Like like obviously your wife embodies that, but how how can we make sure that the girl talking to the barista will embody that too? Like, where did we go wrong? Is it is it that we kicked out all religions from school except for one religion the religion of secularism okay uh, now this is something that most people i talk to don't buy when i say no they say secularism is not a religion well what do you think uh well i am i'm i'm on i straddle a fence in that i grew up in a very religious environment which has nothing to do quite frankly whether i cheated or not because i've i've seen many uh, i mean i grew up in this orthodox religious environment where i saw people cheat all the time all right in, in real life adults cheat so somehow they were able to compartmentalize compartmentalize their twice daily prayers uh with their business activities with how they uh cheated on their husbands and wives uh oh, okay so so religion was was a daily presence in their life, yet it did not translate over into outside their prayers. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. but so uh, I, I I think it's entirely possible to be religious 
and deeply religious and live by a moral code. And I think it's entirely possible to be deeply religious and be immoral. And I think it's entirely possible to be secular and be immoral and entirely- Wait, wait, time out, time out. I'm I'm asking you if you think being secular is really- another form of religion you know that's what i'm asking you the so absence, I mean, most people don't buy that okay the <laughs> absence the absence of any religion the question is is the absence of religion a religion in itself and mm-hmm. a, a belief in nothing is at least by definition a belief but there is no rigid co- code right. to that non-belief. Ah, I think okay. now we're getting it. So, okay, so so now the one religion that we let in schools is the one religion that doesn't have a code. Right. And here we are with the barista and his friend cheating on the exam. So, so what do you think? I, I think it's an. I think we have created a culture. If if I look at why cheating is so rampant right now, is yes. my my take on it is that we created a culture in education where the goal is simply to get that degree as opposed Mm -hmm. to what's happening during the process of getting that degree. We've created this highly consumer culture about academia, and that's a major transformation that took place with the rise in tuition, although it was present. And, And once you do that, once you say that, what college is about is not the experience of education when you discount that and you say that it's all about getting ahead it's all about success when your college administrator keep and leader keeps saying well and others keep saying that it's worth your while to go to college not because it will enrich you but because you're going to earn more dollars because you have that diploma which right. is what they say time over and, and over. time again well, that sets up this thing in students' head. Well, I just have to get the degree. What happens during those four years is immaterial. And if I have mm-hmm. to cheat my way through getting through those four years to get that magical piece of paper that will increase my net worth, because that's mm-hmm. what a college degree mm-hmm. is about, you're going to do that. So, you know, getting back to what could reduce cheating, it's never going to be completely reduced because it was, it's always been present, right? Uh, we're all to use them. So yeah, no, so, all right. So, so we have, we have competing hypotheses here. Right. So Stuart is saying that because the university has become a place where, you know, getting the more dollars is, is what has driven people to, to cheat, you know, by way of, you know, only caring about, getting the degree, not the experience of education. And Jed is saying that, ah, well, getting, getting those dollars is the whole goal of a secular life in some ways. Well, it might not be dollars. It might be power. It might be women. It might be men. It might, you know, whatever, whatever is the highest goal in your own mind because secularism doesn't have a higher power in some sense. So whatever you want it to be, and then it is dollars, it is power, it is whatever it is. And those all contribute to what you're talking about. So my hypothesis obviously explains the data just like yours, 
Which one do you think is right? Obviously, you probably think your own is it. So, so argue your point. Okay. So I think, again, because we're both scientists, I would like to see data because we're not running an experiment. We could run a quasi-experiment with data that might be available by looking at deeply religious colleges, colleges where the expectation is that your student is operating from a deeply religious mm -hmm. framework, whether it be liberty, I... Liberty University, yeah, where is that? Oh, gosh. In the South? Oh, no, don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. That's near us. Okay. Or bring up the experimental variables here because, you know, you, you, you check Liberty and, and you are dealing with people who are raised in schools mm -hmm. that have taken out school prayer, you know, this and that. I mean, yes, there may be people who have gone to Christian, for Liberty, Christian high schools, Christian elementary schools. But even they are watching the same YouTubers. They're watching the... You know what you got to do if you're going to do this experiment. You've probably seen those people uh, in the Christian world who, who the women have to wear head coverings, the men have to wear kind of weird clothes, or, or in your religious background, people who are really you know, wearing the Orthodox clothing and everything. That's where I would start with my control group. What okay. do you think? Well, you could go to Yeshiva University and see what the cheating level is like there. Okay. And then you could go to one of these small schools that where the intellectual experience is emphasized over the monetary reward of getting the degree, like St. John's. You know, they're reading mm -hmm. they're 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 reading uh, books in the original Latin. You know, you're you're not yeah. going to St. John's so you can work for McKinsey. Okay, that's that's <laughs> not your goal. All right, you're going to St. John's because you have some sort of deeply intellectual spirit. Now, there's a mm -hmm. lot of self filtering that's going on there, independent of your or religious, uh, if you're going to go to Yeshiva University over Columbia, that's already telling you something about self-fulfilling nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 because maybe you have that option. I know people have had the option of going to Columbia or Yeshiva. They're both close to their homes. They want to stay home. Uh, they want to be Shomer Shabbos. You know, they want to do all that stuff. Uh, so there's some self-filtering. Wait, wait, what is Shomer Shabbos? Shabbos, that means you need to stay close to your okay. synagogue. You can't is travel. Like a, a, Although in, okay. in, Brook in New York, they have... Actually, it's a little wider. In Brooklyn, in New York, they have uh, they have some uh, they've widened the rules, but that's another story entirely. Okay, but, <laughs> okay, but they want to be okay. They want to be close to home, so they and they don't want to uh, break the Sabbath, and and uh, and they can sort of do that at Columbia, I guess. So they they've had that. Just there's some self filtering, but it would be interesting to examine these cloistered religious kind of mm -hmm. schools. I, uh, you know, if, if you go to Yeshiva University, likely you don't know much about the secular world at all. All right. Which is uh -huh. another story entirely. All right. And, uh, -huh. uh I mean, uh, I mean, I, I know relatives of mine who barely speak English. Okay. So, um, so th they don't, they don't know, uh, about, um, uh, about Cardi B. Okay. They absolutely don't know. So that would be, that would be an example. So, you could you could look at how cheat how rampant is cheating in a place like that how rampant cheating is in these small cloistered environments like St. John's which are secular right I mean those you do attract a secular mm -hmm. kind of student and and mm -hmm. see 
Uh, is there much difference between the two? Actually, those two schools, I mean, it'd be a flawed experiment, but those two schools are probably yeah. both tiny. Uh, yeah. And uh, you want, I would like to know how uh, is cheating more common there? Is it about the same as mm -hmm. the, our experience? Like at you at Wake Forest, me at Duke University. Mm -hmm. At Duke, it was just pervasive. I mean, it was, oh, gosh, yes. che che cheating was, and I don't mean that as a, particular knock on duke i mean i don't i think it was far typical just typical of of research university kind of environment where the students yeah. were by and large there to get their degree to get ahead uh and cheating was so pervasive that there was and it was just in the air right so i, yeah. I don't know i don't know how you stop it right uh, to, and see, well, maybe it isn't so bad at Yeshiva. Maybe it isn't so bad at St. John's. Or, or you can look at a place like, uh, you know, West Point. You know, West Point has pervasive problems with cheating as well, even though they mm -hmm. have an honor code. And and mm -hmm. maybe you would argue, well, those people have been too secularized. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I, mean, I, I really don't know how to set up this experiment other than, like you said, if, if Yeshiva is really made up of people who don't imbibe from the secular world, not that too would much. be a good yeah. control group. Yeah. That that would be a good control. And and I've I've seen statistics on uh, people from these. I don't know what exactly sect of Christianity have have the head coverings, but like Mennonites or something. Yeah. Anyway, you you could find a, a place of higher education that has that as its theme. And again, check the cheating levels. Right. So you know, I, I don't know. It'd be fun. Oh. We don't have that data right now, but right. we could maybe get it. Right. <laughs> but, but independent of that, I know that uh, the Orthodox Hasidic world has pervasive problems with immoral behavior from okay. sexual abuse to cheating in business, even though, you know, you talk about. Uh, and you read the Talmud, you know, and it's not just the Bible. I mean, you read, you read any of those texts. They say what they're doing is bad. Uh, cheating in business, to cheating on their wives. I mean, it's just it, it's it's common because humans, whether they are religious or not, are all too human. We are all flawed mm -hmm. individuals. So mm -hmm. you know uh, why why. So what changed? What what changed between before and after when people had less cheating in the past and morals were promulgated by the parents in the home to now. I mean, okay. like, if humans are the same, you're saying, well, we can't stop cheating. But it was different back then. There was less cheating back then. Yes, and I would say it was less cheat. There was less cheating back then, be not because of the absence or presence of religion as much as, uh, first of all, well, you could say that it may maybe you could make the argument that a more religious home is less likely to break up uh, mm -hmm. as okay but hey let's but, let's take a pause on this we've been going at this podcast okay, for a while so okay. we're gonna have to pick this up on the next podcast all right and i'm excited i'm excited because we're, we're gonna make some progress maybe we can even find some real hard data on on the schools we mentioned <laughs> that's right data i'd like to see some data so we'll come back with all data right. next time okay take care okay bye-bye